the following the following journey into comic 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 network 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 production production Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This is episode four of Poor 360. Yes, just keeping this show rolling. I am your host, Andrew Poor, and I want to hopefully everyone out there has survived the recent polar vortex that's kind of cast most of the Midwest and the Northeast and all that just into a cold, blistering icicle. I'm in the Chicago area, so. It's actually, as I'm recording this, which is on Sunday, it's actually like 70 degrees warmer than it was on Wednesday, which is ridiculous. It's like saying, like, the weather today is, in, what, in the 40s? If it jumped 70 degrees, it'd be 110. It's just, it's baffling how this polar vortex, like, I was, our my office was shut down, so I spent two days working from home and just... It's been a bit crazy, and that kind of gave me my idea for what I wanted to talk about for this week. So I put a poll up there, I remember the one topic that ended up winning out was on global warming, or is commonly referred to as climate change. Now, it's a pretty divisive topic because in the political sphere and in just the world, there are people who disagree with it, there are people that attribute global warming and then see crazy cold temperatures and say how can it be gold global warming if we're getting this like the polar vortex people like you saw that last week when uh donald trump president donald trump tweeted out um polar vortex about the polar vortex in the midwest saying where's the global warming we could use it like because global warming is not really a global warming it's climate change it's showing the because of the effects of the climate change, it's causing more major weather events like droughts, forest fires, crazy like hurricanes, winter anomalies. It's all of this stuff that's happening. It's kind of like we're getting a mild version of the movie Day After Tomorrow, but I digress. So, like I said, the winning of the poll was global warming or climate change. Both are pretty synonymous with each other. I think climate change is the preferred terminology, but I think everyone still calls it global warming. Remember, uh, former presidential nominee and vice president Al Gore released an inconvenient truth and then an inconvenient sequel, or I can't remember what he actually called it, Truth 2, Electric Boogaloo, I don't remember what he called it, but he's, I've not seen either of those movies, so I can't talk about them, I have no real context. But, so, kind of, this is just kind of a summary of what global warming is, and then I'll kind of go into the controversy around it, uh, people who have climate change denial, and then some of the major effects of global warming and feel free to make your own opinion this show like i said it's always been about learning i'm finding information i'm telling you guys we each can take our own uh knowledge from this and keep searching out more and see if it either strengthens your feelings if you disagree with it completely that's entirely your prerogative i'm just here to give out some information and see kind of what you guys think so like this, this is all kind of from Wikipedia and just stuff I've gathered during my research for this. So, global warming is a long-term rise in the average temperature of the Earth's climate system, an aspect of climate change shown by temperature measurements and by multiple effects of the warming. The term kind of refers to the mainly human-caused observed warming since pre-industrial times and its projected continuation. 
there was also much earlier periods of global warming in the modern context of the term global warming and climate change are commonly used interchangeably but climate change includes both global warming and its effects such as changes to precipitation and impacts that differ by region many of the observed warming changes since the 1950s are unprecedented in the instrumental temperature record and its historically and paleoclimate proxy records of climate change over thousands of millions to years over thousands to millions of years sorry in 2013 the intergovernmental panel on climate change or the ipcc fifth assessment report concluded it is extremely likely that human influence has been the dominant cause of the observed warming since the mid 20th century the largest human influence has been the emission of greenhouse gases such as carbon dioxide methane and nitrous oxide in view of the dominant role of the human activity in causing it, the phenomenon is sometimes called anthropogenic, global warming or anthropogenic climate change. Climate model projections summarized in this report indicated that during the 21st century, the global surface temperature is likely to rise a further 0.3 to 1.7 degrees Celsius or 0.5 to 3.1 degrees Fahrenheit to 2.6 to 4.8 C or 4.7 to 8.6 Fahrenheit, depending on the rate of greenhouse gas emissions. These findings have been recognized by the National Science Academies of the major industrialized nations and are not disputed by any scientific body of national or international standing. Further climate change and associated impacts will differ from region to region. Ongoing anticipated effects include rising sea levels, changing precipitation, and expansion of deserts in the subtropics, further warming expected to be greater over land than over the oceans, and greater in, greatest in the Arctic, with the continuing retreat of glaciers, permafrost, and sea ice. Other likely known changes include more frequent extreme weather events such as heat waves, droughts, wildfires, heavy rainfall with floods, and heavy snowfall. Ocean acidification and massive extinction of species due to the shifting temperature regimes. Effects significant to humans include the threat to food security from decreasing crop yields and the abandonment of populated areas due to rising sea levels. Because the climate system is a large inertia and greenhouse gases will remain in the atmosphere for a long time, Many of these effects will persist not only for decades or centuries, but tens of thousands of years. Possible societal responses to global warming include mitigation by emission reduction, adaption to its effects, building system resilience to its effects, and possible future climate engineering. Most countries are part of the United Nations Framework Convention on Climate Change, or the UNFCC, whose ultimate objective is to prevent dangerous anthropogenic climate change. Parties to the UNFCCC have agreed that deep cuts in emissions are required and that global warming should be limited to well below 2 degrees Fahrenheit or 2 degrees C 3.6 degrees Fahrenheit compared to the pre-industrial levels with efforts made to limit warming to 1.5 C to 2.7 F some scientists call into question climate adaption feasibility with higher emission scenarios in or the 2 degree temperature target public reactions to global warming concern about its effects are also increasing a global 2015 Pew Research Center report showed that a median of 50% to all respondents asked considered a very serious problem. Significant regional differences exist with Americans and Chinese. The economies are responsible for the greatest annual CO2 emissions among the least concerned. Which isn't that surprising. We definitely abuse our fair share of CO2 emissions. And I know there's been... I don't know all the facts here. Like I said, this is still a learning thing for me. But I've read and even as far back as middle school heard like discussion of climate change and our using of fossil fuels and how I remember like in seventh grade science class about how at the rate of consumption of fossil fuels we will be I think out of fossil fuels by 2050 
I don't think that's necessarily the case now because I haven't heard much of it in terms of like if anything, gas prices have gone down as supplies have come up, but there's still a finite amount of of fossil fuels available, so that's something we'll still have to deal with and eventually gas prices go up. Like remember in the movie I Am Legend how gas prices were like ten or eleven dollars when it did its small future jump about what happened, but that never really happened. Like it seems like things have shifted slightly, but it was the projector we were on and we know that the Earth will kind of balance itself out. It goes through like ice ages and many major weather events to kind of shift things around. So it could say that we're leading up to another ice age or who knows what we're doing. Like you've seen Day After Tomorrow, you know how the major effects of this and how that can also be mostly movie fiction. But like I said, there's a lot of countries around it and it's kind of brought up to like the two major industrializations, which is China and the United States both of which are heavily involved. They're large populations who definitely enjoy vehicles and trucks and the farm industry, and it's just there's a lot going on there. So what do we have about this climate? Global warming controversy. So the global warming controversy concern, um, concerns the public debate over whether global warming is occurring, how much has occurred in modern times, what has caused it, what its effects will be, whether any action should be taken to curb it, and if so, what the action should be. In the scientific literature, there is a strong consensus that global surface temperatures have increased in recent decades and that the trend is caused by human-induced emissions of greenhouse gases. No scientific body of national or national standing disagrees with this view, though a few organizations with members in extractive industries hold non-committal positions. The country is, by now, political rather than scientific. There is a scientific consensus that climate change is happening, and is caused by human activity. Disputes over the key significant facts of global warming are more prevalent in the media than in the scientific literature, where such issues are treated as resolved, and such disputes are more prevalent in the United States than globally. Political and popular debate concerning the existence and causes of climate change includes the reason for the increase seen in the instrumental temperature record, where the weather trends exceeds normal climatic variations, or whether human activities have contributed simply to it. Scientists have resolved these questions decisively in favor of the view that the current global warming trends exist and is ongoing, that human activity is the cause, and that it, without precedent, is at least 2,000 years. Public disputes that also reflect scientific debate include estimates of how responsive the climate system might be to any given level of greenhouse gases, how climate change will play out at local and regional scales, and what the consequences of global warming will be. Global warming remains to be remains an issue of widespread political debate over often split along party lines, political lines, especially the United States. Many of the issues that are settled within the scientific community, such as human responsibility for global warming, remains the subject of political or economical motivation attempts to downplay, dismiss, or deny them. An ideological phenomenon caused by academic and scientist as climate change denial. The source running for those involved with climate science, both supporting and opposing mainstream scientific positions, have been questioned by both sides. There are also debates about the best policy response to the science, their cost-effectiveness, and their urgency. Climate science, especially in the United States, have often reported official oil industry pressure to censor or suppress their work and hide scientific data, with directors not to discuss the subject of public communications, Legal cases regarding global warming, its effects, and measures to reduce it have reached American courts. The fossil fuel lobbies have 
identified as overly or covertly supporting efforts to undermine or discredit the scientific consensus of global warming. And that's interesting. I mean, it's not all that unsurprising. Like, you know in the current administration how they've loosened um, coal mining and fossil fuel emissions. They've really changed all of this and made it easier for the corporations, but that just seems to be the fossil fuel lobby who's just... If there's major restrictions in what they can do, it really hurts their bottom line. So they're going to fight tooth and nail to make sure that they can keep doing what they're doing. And the big thing is around like fossil fuels and greenhouse gases. Now, I'm assuming most of you know what greenhouse gases are, but here's kind of a quick rundown. And I'll even throw up a graphic if you like. I can't really show it while I'm podcasting because it's an audio medium. You're not going to see it. But So greenhouse gas is a gas that absorbs and emits radiant energy within the thermal infrared range. Greenhouse gases cause the greenhouse effect. The primary greenhouse gases in the Earth's atmosphere are water vapor, carbon dioxide, methane, nitrous oxide, and ozone. Without greenhouse gases, the average temperature of Earth's surface would be about negative 18 degrees C or zero degrees Fahrenheit, rather than the present average of 15 C or 59 degrees Fahrenheit. The atmosphere of Venus, Mars, and Titan also contain greenhouse gases. Human activities since the beginning of the Industrial Revolution, around 1750, have produced a 40% increase in the atmospheric concentration of carbon dioxide, from 280 parts per million in 1750 to 406 parts per million in early 2017. I'm not quite sure how they were able to, in 1750, determine that there was 280 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere, but I digress. The industry has occurred despite the uptake of more than a half of the emissions by various natural sinks involved in the carbon cycle. The vast majority of anthropogenic carbon dioxide emissions, i.e. emissions produced by human activities, come from the combustion of fossil fuels, principally coal, oil, and natural gas, with additional contributions coming from deforestation, change in land use, soil erosion, agriculture, including livestock. Like there's that big thing that you always see about how the amount of cows and other livestock due to their just their large quantity and the amount of gas they produce themselves accounts for a certain amount of the greenhouse gas emissions or something crazy like that should greenhouse gas emissions continue at their rate in 2017 earth surface temperature could exceed historical values as early as 2047 with potentially harmful effects on ecosystems biodiversity and human livelihoods at current emission rate, temperatures can increase by 2 degrees C, which the nation's IPCC designated as the upper limit to avoid dangerous levels by 2036. So like I said, we're still kind of in the middle of this controversy. There's people that are strongly for it. There's people that deny it. It's a political platform. So here's kind of the history behind this whole controversy. So in the United States, the mass media devoted little coverage to global warming until the drought of 1988, and James E. Hansen's testimony to the Senate, which explicitly attributed the anomaly hot weather plaguing our nation to global warming. The British press also changed its coverage at the end of 1988, followed a speech by Margaret Thatcher to the Royal Society advocating action against human-induced climate change. According to Annabella Carvalho, an academic analyst, Thatcher's appropriation of the risk of climate change to promote nuclear power in the context of the dismantling of the coal industry following the 1984-85 miner strike was one reason for the change in public disclosure. At the same time, environmental organizations and political oppositions were demanding solutions that contrasted with the governments. In May 2013, Charles Prince of Wales took a strong stance criticizing both climate change deniers 
in corporate lobbyists by likening the Earth to a dying patient. A scientific hypothesis is tested to absolute destruction. But medicine can't wait. If a doctor sees a child with a fever, he can't wait for endless tests. He has to act on what is there. Many European countries took action to reduce greenhouse gas emissions before 1990. West Germany started to take action after the Green Party took seats in Parliament in the 1980s. All countries of the European Union ratified the 1997 Kyoto Protocol. Substantial activity by NGOs took place as well. The United States Energy Information Administration reported that in the United States, the 2012 downturn means that emissions are at the lowest level since 1994 and over 12% below the recent 2007 peak. The theory that increasing greenhouse gas will lead to an increase in temperature was first proposed by the Swedish chemist Svante Arrhenius in 1896. But climate change did not arise as a political issue until the 1990s. It took many years for this partial issue to attract any type of attention. In Europe, the notion of human influence on climate gained wide acceptance more rapidly than in the United States and other countries. A 2009 survey found that the Europeans rated climate change as the second most serious problem facing the world between poverty and the lack of food and drinking water, and a major global economic downturn. 87% of Europeans consider climate change to be a very serious to be a very serious problem, while 10% did not consider it a serious problem. In 2007, the BBC announced the cancellation of a planned television special, Planet Relief, which would have highlighted the global warming issues it included a mass electrified sw- electrical switch-off. The editor of the BBC's Newsnight Current Affairs Show said it's absolutely not the BBC's job to save the planet. And there are a lot of people who think that it, but it must be stopped. Arthur, author, Mark Linus, said the only reason why this became an issue is that there is a small but vociferous group of extreme white-wing climate skeptics lobbying against taking action. So the BBC is behaving like a coward and refusing to take a more consistent stance. The author of the 2010 book, Merchants of Doubt, provide documentation for the assertion, assertion, sorry, not assertion, assertion that professional deniers have tried to sow seeds of doubt in public opinion in order to halt any meaningful social or political progress to reduce the impact of human carbon emissions. The fact that only half American population believe that global warming is caused by human activity can be seen as a victory for those deniers. One of the author's main arguments is that the most prominent scientists who have voiced opposition to the near-universal consensus are being funded by industry, such as automobile and oil. They stand to lose money by government actions to regulate greenhouse emissions. A compendium of polls... Uh, so this is the polls that are... And based on the other data. So in 2006, they were saying that U.S. global warming is a very serious and ex- extremely important. 49% of Americans agree. Internationally, climate change is a serious problem, also in 2006, and that was 90% agree. So, globally or internationally, pretty much everyone agrees. In the U.S. alone, less than half. Just less than half. Uh, International poll from 2007. Human activity is a significant cause of climate change. So, 9% agree. So, they know it's increasing, but it's less than the amount that say it's a serious problem, but that humans are the main culprit. Um, in 2007 as well, the U.S., it's necessary to take major steps starting very soon. That's 59%, so more than half this time. And then 2009, for the U.S., the Earth is getting warmer because of human activity. That was, again, 49%. So, still seem like most people disagree. So, kind of, that's 
kind of where we're getting. And there's other kind of controversies out there, but a lot of people are just denying what's going on. So, so basically what a climate change denial is, is it involves a denialist miss or unwarranted doubt that contradicts the scientific opinion on climate change, including the extent to which it's caused by humans, its impact on nature and human society, or the potential of adaptions to global warming by human actions. Some deniers endorse the term, while others prefer the term climate change skepticism. Several times have noted that skepticism is an accurate description for those who deny anthropogenic global warming. In effect, the two terms for it form a continuous overlapping range of views. Generally have the same characteristics, both reject to a greater or lesser extent the scientific consensus on climate change. Climate change denial can also be implicit when individual social groups accept the science but fail to come to terms with it or translate their acceptance into action. Several social science studies have analyzed these positions as a form of denialism or pseudoscience. The campaign to undermine public trust in climate change has been described as a denial machine, organized by industrial, political, and ideological interests, and supported by conservative media and skeptical bloggers to manufacture uncertainty about global warming. In the public debate, phrases such as climate skepticism have frequently been used with the same meaning as climate denialism. The labels are contested that those activity, actively challenging climate science commonly describe themselves as skeptics, but in direct climate with common standards of scientific skepticism, in regards of evidence, personal, persistently denied the validity of human-caused global warming. Although scientific opinion on climate change is that human activity is extremely likely to be the primary driver of climate change, the politics of global warming have been affected by climate change denial, hindering efforts to prevent climate change and adapt to the warming climate. Those promoting denial commonly use rhetorical tactics to give the appearance of a scientific country when there is none. Of the world's countries, the climate change denial industry is the most powerful in the United States. From 2015 to 2017, after having already served from 2003 to 2007, the United States Senate Committee on Environmental and Public Works was chaired by oil lobbyist and climate change denier Jim Inhofe, who had previously called climate change the greatest hoax ever perpetuated uh, perpetuated against the American people, and claimed to have debunked the alleged hoax in February 2015 when he brought a snowball with him in the Senate chamber and tossed it across the floor. He was succeeded in 2017 by John Barrasso, who similarly said, The climate is constantly changing. The role in humanity plays is not known. Organized campaign to undermine public trust in climate science is associated with conservative economic policies and backed by industrial interests opposed to the regulation of CO2 emissions. Climate change denial has been associated with the fossil fuels lobby, the, the Koch brothers, industry advocates, and conservative think tanks, often in the United States. More than 90% of papers skeptical on ch climate change originate from right-wing think tanks. The total income of these climate change counter-movement organizations is roughly $900 million. Between 2002 and 2010, nearly $120 million was anonymously donated via the Donors Trust and Donors Capital Funds to more than 100 organizations seeking to undermine the public perception of the science of climate change. In 2013, the Center for Media and Democracy reported that the State Policy Network, or SPN, an umbrella group of 64 U.S. think tanks, has been lobbying on behalf of major corporations and conservative donors to oppose climate change regulation. Since the late 1970s, oil companies have published research broadly in line with the standard views on global warming. Despite this, oil companies organized a climate change denial campaign to disseminate public disinformation for several decades. 
a strategy that has been compared to the organized denial of the hazards of the tobacco smoking by the tobacco industry. And that's actually an interesting comparison between the two. You can see the both sides. Obviously, the same reason the oil companies and the fossil fuel industry don't want you to believe global warming and climate change is a threat and that things to be changed. Now, it's the same reason that the tobacco industry was took so long to say that smoking cigarettes or using tobacco was a leasing cause to cancer and other issues there. So, yeah, it's definitely an interesting comparison. Now, what are some of the effects? Like, like many of you, I don't really know what major effects are. Like, obviously, I've seen pictures and videos of, like, the bleaching of the corals due to the changing and the acidity and the temperature of the water, how the forest fires have been affecting a lot of the west coast of the United States and other parts of the world, how major hurricanes have affected, like, Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico, but I really don't know, like, a lot of the major effects. So here's 24 serious effects of global warming. So, here we go. Number one. Melting of glaciers. The melting of glaciers will create plethora of problems for humankind and the animals living on Earth. Due to increased global warming, the level of the sea will rise, which will lead to flooding, and this will in turn create havoc in human life. Apart from raising the sea levels, it will also endanger several species of animals, and thus will hamper the balance of the ecosystem. Areas in the Arctic are diminishing away and flowing into major oceans. Rising temperatures create a much accelerated threat to wildlife, and whole ecosystems in these reasons. With glaciers melting at vast rates, a chain of events is being set into motion that cannot be reversed. Climate change, which is, I guess, global warming climate, yeah. Irregular weather patterns have already started showing results. Increased precipitation in the form of rain have already been noticed in polar and subpolar regions. More global warming will tend to, to lead to more evaporation, which will cause more rains. Animals and plants cannot easily adapt to increased rainfall. Plants may die and animals may migrate to other areas, which can cause entire ecosystems out of balance. Droughts. While it may be flooding in savannah, severe drought is happening elsewhere in the world. As temperature warms, the presence of drought has increased in the western U.S. Out on top of that, heat waves and no precipitation, whole forests have begun to disappear, including tens of millions of trees in the Colorado Rockies. Large-scale evaporation will be the major cause of droughts in many places, particularly Africa. Although it is reeling under the huge pressure of the water crisis, increased global warming would further make the situation worse and will cause malnutrition. We also have diseases. As the temperature becomes more warm, it can affect the health of humans and the disease they are exposed to. With the increase in the rainfall, waterborne diseases are likely to spread like malaria. The earth will become more warm, and as a result, heat waves are likely to, be, to increase that can cause a major blow to the people. We also have hurricane frequency. As the temperatures of the oceans rise, hurricanes and other storms are likely to become stronger. With the increase in global warming, the water in the ocean warms up and it heats up the surrounding air, creating hurricanes. Like I said, we also have the rise of the sea levels. The melting of polar ice caps and less water evaporating into the atmosphere cause increased sea levels. Quaint coastal towns and cities near the U.S. East Coast and Gulf of Mexico are just a few areas where devastating flood damage is starting to make its mark in history. Also, we have agricultural effects. Global warming can affect agriculture. Although the results are not visible yet, but it may show its effect in years to come. As the global temperature will increase, plants will find it harder to survive and will die. Plants are the major source of food for human beings, and as a result, food shortage may occur. The shortage of food may lead to war and conflicts in some countries. 
We also have heat waves. If you thought last summer headlines of record-changing temperatures was mind-blowing, just wait because of greenhouse gas and other causes. Unexpected streaks of severe weather are just the tip of the iceberg in global warming. Heat waves cause dangerously hot weather in recent years. More deaths have occurred due to heat waves than in the last 60 years. We also have the frequency of wildfires, like I said in the beginning. While wildfires are a natural occurrence, with the added carbon dioxide in the air in the hotter summers, the evidence speaks for itself. More frequent wildfires continue to surface in vast amounts each year. The rate which they burn is longer than the last, and with the release of carbon dioxide into the air, not only are people's lives in danger, but wildlife severely suffers. Each time a wildfire burns, the less oxygen there is to combat the dangerous amount of carbon dioxide being released into the atmosphere. We also have severe precipitation. Not only is the instrumental scientific evidence that global warming is increasing certain types of events, including extreme precipitation on the rise, global warming also creates conditions that can lead to more powerful hurricanes and summer storms. Cities and towns on the coast where sea levels are already rising face even more challenges as precipitation poses severe flooding. We also could have longer and shorter seasons. Are you a lover of fall? Maybe if spring is your favorite season? Whatever weather and climate you enjoy, it could be happening sooner and shorter, or later and longer. Global warming effects show spring is occurring 10 days sooner than it has in the past. It would be nice to go from snow paints to shorts sooner. This could cause flooding from reservoirs filling too soon, and droughts where there's not enough precipitation to provide adequate nourishment for crops. And speaking of crops, if the seasons are changing, weather patterns are going berserk, and flooding is occurring due to rising sea levels, our crops are barely getting a fine chance. Once the food processing industry goes haywire, the economy will really start getting interesting. The price of stable crops could skyrocket, causing major inflation and more economic woes. We also have the effects of the oceans. It is reported that coral reefs are contributing, are continuing to see diminished presence in the ocean due to global warming. Temperature changes affect more than what's happening to our, on our lands. Once coral reefs are affected, entire ecosystems that thrive become obsolete. We also have a uh, food chain. Change the time and season and birds are flying south for winter. Sooner, hibernation takes longer and a whole series of events is set into motion for a complete collapse of animal life. The entire food chain could be disrupted and enormous consequences could follow. Also have the health risk. As more carbon dioxide is trapped in the atmosphere, breathable air becomes harder to come by. The global warming continues the U.S. looking at $60 billion to combat respiratory diseases and symptoms. We also have animal extinctions. Nature's best is beautifully displayed in every nook of planet Earth. The majestic lion to the humble deer. Imagine whole populations where animals can no longer thrive. With such a vast eruption, the animal kingdom, our own world, becomes in danger. We also have the effects of quality of life. Doing simple things like taking a walk outside or working in your garden becomes unenjoyable due to severe heat waves. Think of the quality of life on a much larger scale. With rising global temperatures, even the smallest things we took for granted will be sorely missed. We also risk an economic collapse. Who knows how badly the economy would get with decreased vitality of crops, production, and manufacturing items. Without having nature on our side, the food industry will fall apart. With the resources to feed the world, manufacturing will collapse. Hunger will be our biggest battle. We also have an air quality problem. As more chain of events are set into motion, air quality will continue to get worse. As bad as it is now, some areas in the world multiply that by a million. That seems a little intense, a little fear-mongering. Multiply that by a million. Um, we also could see a decreased population. If global warming goes unchecked, it's estimated that world's human population would decrease by 75%. With the increasing severity of storms, floods, earthquakes, and wildfires, natural disaster would diminish half of the Earth's population Another 25% would succumb to air-related illness, starvation, and poverty. 
But on the flip side, if the world population did decrease by a significant amount like that, we probably would see a, a balance in terms of climate change because there's going to be a dramatic drop in the population, so it won't be consuming as much of the... We'll say a lot more than our means than we are now. So it seems like whenever, like, a, I don't remember where it was, but the due to, I don't know if it was from the plague or some major event that involved a large death and how much nature about it. Oh, I remember this. I was actually reading about this, um, I don't know, it was like last week. Maybe it was just I was kind of flipping through. That due to the slaughtering of all, a lot of Native Americans when people first came to the Americas, the amount of the amount of destroyed involved a lot of existing pharma that the natives had created to be reclaimed by nature, which involved new tree growth and the kind of reclaimed by nature, which led to an increase in oxygen, which actually helped the atmosphere. So, yeah, so we could probably see some of that kind of effects. Like, you see, like, the show, um, where it's always, like, what would happen if everyone just disappeared at once, and how fast things would get reclaimed by nature, how fast power would go out in places, how solar energy would fail, hydroelectric would be the last fault once it broke, and, yeah. It's kind of one of those type things, how much nature will recoup itself. We've seen it with roads that are abandoned, or how that city that has the a large coal vein running underneath it, how it's been burning forever, so the city's been abandoned, so there's a major stretch of highway that's just cracked and graffitied, but how, like, the cities and properties, or how in Detroit, in the areas where nobody's at, it's been taken over by nature and animals and wolves and stuff like that. We also could see human extinction. That's more of an extreme case, but what little would remain of the Earth as we know it, we would be a sliver. The rest of the human population would have to find and implement alternative energy as a consistent and regulated basis. It's hard to imagine, but each of these seven effects, each of these events affect another event. Pretty soon the down effect will reach home. There's plenty that can be done to guarantee these effects won't become Earth's ultimate fate. So we also have going off the grid. If you can't stand to go without power during a thunderstorm, imagine our whole electrical infrastructure going off the grid. With the current threat of increased increasing storms and violent aftermath of hurricanes and tropical storms, it will only take a few hits to crumble our electrical system. Um, let's see, freshwater, our freshwater supply will greatly diminish with global warming. With the demise of coral reefs and the ecosystem therein, less frequent, less fresh water will flow into lakes and tributaries. We also could have disappearing countries. Countries like Greenland and are deteriorating at a High elevated rate, beautiful cities, even continents could one day be a part of the vast sea. So yeah, those are 34 of the serious effects that were cataloged by um, conservativeenergyfuture.com. So it's a very, obviously a very one-sided point, so take all of that with a grain of salt, but it, are, it seems rather likely that some of these events could cause these events. And I think that's a lot, it's, I don't want to get to a point where it's fear-mongering about what this is all about, but you really just got to take your own, you just got to see your own, do your own research for this and figure out if you agree with what's going on, if you think 
You can deny it. That's kind of your own prerogative. But like I said, just do your research. Figure out what side you're on. Don't listen to the media about this. Don't listen to the political machine about this because everyone who has something to lose has a reason to be a denier or to sow denial in people. Like, obviously, the auto industry does not want to see massive emission reduction because that will involve cars being made differently, less people driving. If encouraged, like, oh, everyone should carpool, that means potentially half the amount of vehicles being purchased each year. Maybe not that extreme, but it just things to keep in mind that just because there's a large amount of voices saying one thing doesn't mean what they're saying isn't wrong. But just keep, keep an open mind and find your own truth there. But I think that'll do it for Poor360 for this week. Definitely tune in next week for another show. I'll definitely put a poll out in the next day or two as you're listening to this for the topics. And you can do that by liking us, liking me on Facebook at Poor360. Go there. There'll be a poll available. Pick what you like. And if there's a topic you want to see, feel free to direct message me on Facebook or Twitter. Or you can always... Shoot me a message or comment on the post or whatever you want to get your idea out there. Definitely open to new ideas. I try and keep the two topics. It's kind of just similar just to kind of move things along. I think the other topic from this for this week was church and state, which will also be a fun thing to talk about. So that might resurface on next week's poll just to kind of get to get a chance to talk about it at some point. Not that they're just going to get buried to the back, but... Something good come up between now and then that will allow some fun talking points. So that'll do it for 4360 for this week. I am Andrew Poor. You have a great, great week. Stay warm, everyone. You've been listening to Poor360. You can find us on the socials at Poor360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others. Hey guys. Veronica. Andrew. And Nate here. We are Foodies Watching Movies. A podcast dedicated to... Awesome movies. Great food. And that's about it. Check us out on the JIC Network at www.journeyintocomics.com. Maybe throw some money over to our Patreon. So we can eat this week. And now, your feature presentation. We interrupt the Journey into Comics Network feed for this late-breaking edition of Poor News, featuring Andrew Poor. Welcome back. This is a mini episode of Poor News, and this is what we're covering today. I am Andrew Poor. Like I said, I'm Poor360, but this episode is about the 2020 election. Obviously, United States election. I don't know if there's any other elections happening in 2020 in the world, but this is obviously involving the Democratic candidates who are up against Trump and the third-party candidates that are trying to make a name for themselves so they don't have a name already. So, according to Ballotpedia.org, here is the the election updates towards the 2020 election. So, Americans will elect the next president of the United States on November 3rd, 2020. President Donald Trump filed for re-election on January 20th of 2017, the day of his inauguration. Trump was first elected in 2016. Six newest presidents, approximately one-third, have won two consecutive elections. The Democratic National Convention will be held July 13th through 16th of 2020. OCD is expected to be selected in early 2019, with 
Houston, Miami, and Milwaukee as the three finalists. The Republican National Convention is scheduled to take place August 24th to 27th of 2020 in Charlotte, North Carolina. So here's the election updates kind of from most recent, and we're going to kind of run backwards. So on February 1st, which was not too long ago, Senator Cory Booker, a Democrat from New Jersey, announced he was running for president. Obviously, probably a lot of you are going to know Cory Booker from he a bit cameo. Obviously, he's a senator, but mainstream people know him as he played himself on an episode of Parks and Recreation when they were in D.C. when he had a uh, like an uh, him and a Republican had a like an Irish band called like across the aisle using the like aisle like a lake or aisle as in across the aisle like political streams. Um, on but on, that, on January 29th, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti, a Democrat, and former Senator Jeff Flake also announced they were running for president. On January 25th, Richard Ojeda, a Democrat, suspended his campaign. All right, that happens. January 23rd, Peter Buttigieg, a Democrat, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, announced that he was running for president. Yes, the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, is running for president. Also have Senator Chris Murphy, a Democrat from Connecticut, it announced that he was not running for president. So, someone running, someone not running. On January 21st, Senator Kamala Harris, a Democrat from California, announced that she was running for president. And on January 18th, Senator Bob Casey, a Democrat from Pennsylvania, announced that he would not be running for president. Um, so here's the notable declared candidates and exploratory committees. Obviously, uh, Cory Booker, a U.S. Senator from Jersey, announced, like I said, um, Mayor of South Bend, Indiana, Julian Castro, a Democrat, former U.S. Secretary of Housing and Urban Development, and San Antonio Mayor formally announced his candidacy on January 12th. John Delaney, a former U.S. Representative from Maryland, filed on August 10th of 2017. Tulsi Gabbard, a U.S. Representative from Hawaii, announced that she had decided to run. Uh, uh, Kirsten Gillibrand, a U.S. Senator from New York, announced that she was running. Kamala Harris, like I said, she's running. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, the U.S. Senator from Massachusetts, announced that she was forming an exploratory committee on December 31st, and Andrew Yang, an entrepreneur from New York, filed for president on November 6th. So the potential Democratic potential candidates. So here's a list, it's a long list, of people that are might be running, but as of February of 2019, they have not made it known. So we have Stacey Abrams, a former member and minority leader of the Georgia House of Representatives. We have Michael Bennett, a U.S. Senator from Colorado. We have Joe Biden, the former Vice President of the United States. Michael Bloomberg, the former Mayor of New York City. Jerry Brown, the former Governor of California. Sherrod Brown, U.S. Senator from Ohio. Steve Bullock, Governor of Montana. Lincoln Chaffee, the former Governor of and U.S. Senator from Rhode Island. Hillary Clinton, the former U.S. Secretary of State and 2016 Democratic Presidential nominee. We have Roy Cooper, the Governor of North Carolina. Bill de Blasio, the Mayor of New York. Uh, Andrew Gillum, former mayor of Ten- Tallahassee, sorry. Uh, Luis Gutierrez, former U.S. Representative from Illinois. Maggie Hassan, U.S. Senator from New Hampshire. John Hickenlooper, the former governor of Colorado. Eric Holder, former Attorney General of the United States. Jay Inslee, governor of Washington. Tim Kaine, the U.S. Senator from Virginia and 2016 Democratic Vice Presidential nominee. We have Jason Kander, the former Secretary of State of Missouri. Joe Kennedy III, U.S. Representative from Massachusetts. John Kerry, former Secretary of State of the United States and U.S. Senator from Massachusetts. And he also ran. He was, I believe, wasn't he, uh, I forget. he did run before for president or was on the ticket. I don't remember for sure. We have Amy 
Klobuchar, the U.S. Senator from Minnesota. We have Mitch Landrau, former mayor of New Orleans. Terry McAuliffe, former governor of Virginia. Jeff Merkley, U.S. Senator from Oregon. Seth Moulton, U.S. Senator from Massachusetts. Martin O'Malley, the former governor of Maryland. Beto O'Rourke, former U.S. Representative from Texas. Gina Raimondo, governor of Rhode Island. Tim Ryan, U.S. Representative from Ohio. Brian Schatz, the U.S. Senator from Hawaii. Bernie Sanders, the U.S. Senator from Vermont. Adam Schiff, the U.S. Representative from California, and Eric Swalwell, the U.S. Representative from California, and Sally Yates, former Acting Attorney General. We also have business executive figures that are considering it. We have Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. Bill Gates, the founder of Microsoft and co-chair of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We have Bob Iger, the CEO of Disney. Drain the Dwok Johnson, actor and professional wrestler. Michelle Obama, former First Lady of the United States. Oprah Winfrey, mass media owner and philanthropist and Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook founder. And they have not announced one for the other. The likeness is very slim. And then on the other side, we have... On the Republican side, we have... Bob Corker, the former U.S. Senator from Tennessee. We have Tom Cotton, the U.S. Senator from Arkansas. We have Ned Ted Cruz, the U.S. Senator from Texas. Nikki Haley, the former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations and former Governor of South Carolina. Larry Hogan, Governor of Maryland, John Kasich, former Governor of Ohio, Susanna Martinez, former Governor of New Mexico, Mike Pence, the Vice President of the United States, Mitt Romney, former Governor of Massachusetts, and the Republican presidential uh, ticket holder from the 2012 election. We have Ben Sass, U.S. Senator from Nebraska, Scott Walker, the former Governor of Wisconsin. We also have business executive and public figures on the Republican side, and that's Mark Cuban, investor and owner of the Dallas Mavericks, and Carly Fiorina, the former CEO of Hewlett-Packard. And then third-party candidates involve Howard Schultz, the former CEO of Starbucks. Um, Decline to run, we have Michael Avenatti, Bob Casey, Andrew Cuomo, Jeff Flake, uh, Eric Garcetti, Chris Murphy, Deval Patrick, and Tom Steyer. I thought Jeff Flake up in the earlier in the thing said he was running. Let me see what this said here. Oh, so the the mayor, mayor and Senator Jeff Flake are not running. Sorry, I must have misread that earlier. All right. So as of January twenty seventh, twenty nineteen, there are four hundred eighty three candidates who have filed to run: one hundred forty eight Democratic, sixty six Republican, eighteen Libertarian, and eleven Green candidates. And I'm not going to release the list because that is a very long list. But even with the list this size, here's a CNN article involving the. The polls have shown that there's still room for a moderate Democratic presidential candidate in 2020. So, what's the point? The leading Democratic presidential candidates who have either declared or have formed an exploratory committee are among the most liberal in the caucus in most recent years. We have Senators Cory Booker, Kamala Harris, Kristen Gilderbrand, and Elizabeth Warren, who have all voted with President Donald Trump less than 20% of the time. All of them are in the top seven for anti-Trump voting records in the Senate. The leftward tilt of the Democratic contenders is in no doubt because of a higher percentage of Democrats considering themselves liberal that at any point in the last 20 years, as I briefly noticed, the time and the moment may be right for Democratic to nominate the most liberal candidate in a generation. Yet the ABC News, Washington Post poll, and other data suggest that there is in fact a lane for someone to, to make a more moderate pitch in the primary. That is a candidate who is still more liberal than the majority of Americans, but is somewhat closer to the political center than the average Democratic member of Congress. In the 14 midterm, 54% of all voters who cast a ballot for Democratic candidates called themselves either moderate or conservative. Also look at who was elected to Congress in the 20 midterms. 
According to the tally from 538's Geoff Skelly, there are about an equal number of House members belonging to the moderate conservative caucuses as there are members of the progressive caucus. Recent presidential primaries focus too suggest too that a more mainstream candidate may have an opportunity to make a pitch. The liberal insurgent hasn't won a Democratic primary. Bill Bradley lost to Al Gore in 2000. Howard Dean flamed out in 2004. John Edwards did not find success in 2008. And Bernie Sanders couldn't put together a winning coalition in 2016. On the other hand, Edwards and Sanders challenged the two challenges to frontrunners do in some way show the power of the left party of left party of the party. Both forced the leading candidates, Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton in 2008 and 2016, to adopt more leftward positions. Still, Clinton's bid in may be a warning sign to Democratic voters right now. She was seen as more liberal than Donald Trump was seen as conservative. That is, it is possible that Clinton lost in part because she was seen as holding views too far to the left for most voters. Indeed, a recent Gallup poll suggests that Democrats may fear that their 2020 presidential candidate being seen as too liberal. A major 54% of Democrats and Democratic-leaning independents prefer to see the party become more moderate. Just 41% of that party to become more liberal. Those are contrast to Republicans who want their party to be seen as more conservative. As Megan Brennan above Gallup points out, looking ahead at the 2020 presidential campaign, Democrats overall may think that a move to the center makes may make their party presidential candidate more electable. None of this means, however, that a more moderate candidate will succeed on the Democratic side. What moderate means will differ to each voter. Additionally, primary voters don't just make up their mind based on ideology. Other qualities such as race, gender, friendliness to the establishment, and just plain old charisma will matter too. But with a field that, for now, lacks a major Democrat in the center of the party, left alone center of the electorate at large, a more moderate major Democrat has a good reason to think he or she should make a run. So yeah, there's just some news about what's going on in the 2020 election. That'll do it for the mini-episode of Poor News for this week. I'm Andrew Poor. Have a great week.